Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Father, in the midst of all that's going on in our culture right now, we recognize that what we need is you, and we recognize that what we need is your word, and we recognize that what we need ultimately above everything else is the gospel. We need the person and the work of Jesus. We need the grace of God to melt our hearts. We need the cross of Christ to step in and speak into every area of our lives. Father, I thank you that we can gather today. I praise you that we can um, preach your word and that we live in a place that we have the freedom to be able to do that. I praise you that through your word you speak to us, that you teach us, that you reveal yourself to us, who you are, your character, Father. But you've also revealed to us in the midst of your word, this collective story that highlights your son as the ultimate hero. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you are lifted up, Jesus, that you are exalted, that you are worshiped, that you are praised, and that your spirit would fill our time here. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for a family of believers. We thank you for community. We thank you that we can gather together today to hear your word, to sing together, to take communion and celebrate, Lord, all that you've done to purchase us and create and make a family that you call your own. We love you. We need you. Speak to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue in our series titled Saints and Society as we're in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. We've titled it Saints and Society because saints actually means holy one or set apart. And we understand that in Christianity, a saint is not something that we arrive at. It's the starting place that we start at. We don't start um, anywhere else besides with this identity that's given to us by God's grace as a saint, someone who is set apart and someone who is holy. We haven't earned this, we haven't worked for this, and there's nothing we can do to make ourselves more holy or more of a saint. It is an identity given to us freely by grace through faith in Christ. And we also understand, though, that when we are given this identity, it looks different for saints to live in society. It looks different for saints to live out of this identity. And so what we're looking at today is we can see in Corinth that they were very, very much influenced by the culture that they lived in. They were very much influenced by their society. So much so that society told them what it was to be accepted and what they needed to do to be accepted. But society also had its version of freedom that was projected on to the Corinthians and to the saints that were in Corinth. And same goes for us today. We, we do not live in the Bible Belt, that's obvious. We live in the Pacific Northwest, and our culture it constantly projects and tells us what it looks like to be socially acceptable and to live in society. What we want to look at today is what the Word of God says and how the Word of God defines freedom, because surely our culture says a lot about freedom, but we want to understand what a biblical view and understanding of freedom is. And so that's where we find ourselves today, and I'll say this right out of the gate, is that I love and appreciate the freedom that we have in our country to be able to preach and teach God's word. I appreciate the people who have given their lives so that we can have freedom in our country. I appreciate the people that are still serving, like Teresa, who's overseas right now, and even Ronnie, who's with us today, and, and many other veterans. But I also want to say this, that our society at large in, in, in the U.S. idolizes freedom. And we idolize, and in a lot of ways, our, uh, um, our own definition of freedom and, and the ways that our culture has told us this is what it is to be free. So I want to acknowledge that too, that in many ways there's a, there's a biblical understanding of freedom, which the main point today is that the saints are free to die, and actually through death we find life, but our culture has a view of freedom that it's telling us this is what it is to be free in our society. And so let's read the Word of God, and then we'll unpack it. 
1 Corinthians 9.19 says, uh, and this is the Apostle Paul, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of God. This morning, as I said, we're going to look at this. The saint's freedom is actually found in death. And so right out of the gate in verse 19 and 20, Paul's using this language here. He says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a doulos, is the Greek word, which is slave. Paul's saying that I've made my slave to all. As Ronnie talked about last week, Paul was not willing to hang on or, or, or just clinch all of his rights. He was willing to give up all the rights that, that he rightfully had in order for the sake of the gospel to move forward. And today we look at that as well, is that Paul, though he is completely free, and in the Roman society, this is how the class was divided up. There were free and there were slaves, and that's essentially how people were divided up. And so if you were slaved, it meant that you were indebted to people and, and, and that you owed your life to them. And so to become a slave was, in a sense, to give up your social identity. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm not enslaved to anyone. I am not a servant to anyone. I am not in debt to anyone. But in fact, I have made myself a complete slave that I might win more people. And he goes on to say, which is ironic, that to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews, and to those under the law still talking about Jews. Why, why is this ironic? Because Paul is a Jewish man. We have a Jewish gospel in the sense that Jesus Christ was Jewish. And, and then after Jesus Christ uh, died and resurrected, he gave the gospel to Jewish men and women who, who uh, pushed it forward and, and lived out the Great Commission. And so we, we have this Jewish man who's saying, to the Jew I became a Jew, which is ironic because he is Jewish. So what is he saying? Paul is saying that he is willing to put constraints on his life. He is willing to adapt his language to the culture that he's in. When he's around Jewish people, he's willing to adapt his lifestyle and his language to be Jewish. It doesn't mean that Paul is giving up his ethnicity. It doesn't mean that, that Paul is giving up his culture. It doesn't mean that we have to do that. Paul is just saying, I have something that transcends all of that. I have an identity in Christ. My identity in Christ allows me, when I'm around Jewish people, to not put anything in front of them that would be a hindrance to them. And so Paul is just simply saying that he's willing to live with constraints. Our culture does not like this, and our culture does not say this. They see freedom as no constraints. Let me give you guys some examples from some songs, okay? Let's start with the best genre of music in the entire world. It's a scientific fact. It's called country music. Yeah, Dirks Bentley right here. Not a good song, though, for what I'm saying. I'm not prepared for the wind today, guys. Here's Dirk, Dirks Bentley's song titled Freedom. We all want to break the chains, feel the wind against our face. Everybody wants the same thing. We want to taste that freedom, freedom. Everybody around here want to taste that freedom, freedom. <laughs> it's a pocket full of folded cash. It's telling that boss he can kiss your booty, that tick to your favorite show, getting lost in the rock and roll, close your eyes, hands up high, get on and let go. We all want to break the chains, feel the wind against our face. Everybody wants the same thing. We want to taste the freedom, freedom. Here's a little pit bull. I'm free. 
I'm free to do what I want and have a good time. Now nobody, anybody, everybody say, because I'm free to do what I want and have a good time. Here's Kid Rock. I don't know if anyone actually listens to Kid Rock, but this is called Born Free. Free like a river raging, strong in the wind I'm facing. Chasing dreams and racing father time, deep like the grandest canyon. Wild like an untamed stallion, if you can't see my heart, you must be blind. You can knock me down and watch me bleed, but you can't keep no chains on me. I was born free, I was born free, I was born free. Here's a soup dragons called I'm free. Don't be afraid of your freedom. I'm free to do what I want any old time. I said I'm free to do what I want any old time. I say love me, hold me, love me, hold me, because I'm free to do what I want any old time, and it repeats that again. But just in case you would think these are just songs for adults, here's what the Frozen soundtrack, Let It Go, says as well. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You see, the way our culture defines freedom is there's no rules, there's no constraints, no one gets to tell me what I want to do. I'm free to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and wherever I want. And that's how our culture defines freedom. No constraints, no limitations, no, no chains. That's, that's, the, that's the consensus through these songs. That is the common thread. The thing that we see is that no one gets to tell me what I do. No one gets to put and project their rules and regulations on me. But again, is that something that just our culture has fed us, or is that a biblical understanding of what it looks like to be free? And here's the reality. Whether we realize it or not, we listen to words all day. We sing songs all day. We watch TV shows. So our culture is constantly telling us stuff, and it's telling us this is what freedom looks like. The question is, will we adopt what culture tells us freedom looks like, or we have a biblical understanding. Because honestly, if we look at this, what Paul is saying, I'm willing to socially die. I'm willing to be a slave. I'm willing to be an outcast. I'm willing to be at the bottom of society if it means that my brothers and sisters in Christ, and specifically in these passages, those that don't know Christ come to know Jesus Christ. Paul is competitive. He uses the word win five times in nine verses here. Win, 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 win. He keeps saying win. I want to win them to Christ. I want to win them to Christ. The reality is we're all competitive too, but typically what we want to win is we want to win an argument with our spouse. We want to win that we're right with our kids, and we want to win success in business, and we want to win a lot of things. Paul is willing to lay down absolutely everything if it means that those that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus Christ. That is the sort of constraints that Paul's uh, uh, willing to put on his life. This isn't, this isn't Paul saying that, that I become a chameleon. This isn't Paul saying that I change mass. This isn't Paul saying that I morph in other things. This is literally Paul saying, these, I have so much freedom in Christ, but these are, the, these are the kind of constraints that I'm willing to put on my life if it means winning other people to Jesus Christ. And so that's why he says to the Jew, I became a Jew to win the Jews. Paul was willing to go to synagogue. Paul was willing to put the limitations and constraints on his life if it meant winning Jewish people to Christ. And then we move on to see. Verse 21. To those outside of the law, so the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. Look at this parenthetical. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. This is not, again, Paul saying that he becomes a renegade or that he goes rogue or that he just lives any style he wants. This is not Paul saying that I have to get tattoos, that I have to smoke weed, that I have to drink in order to fit in. This is Paul saying, I'm willing to put constraints on my life. I, I, I'm willing to step into a Gentile culture and, and adopt a different lifestyle uh, and meet them in their terms, not on their terms. 
in, in the sense I, I'm, I'm willing to step in when people have different styles of worship. I'm willing to step in when, when people read a King James only version. I'm willing to step into whatever these environments are so that at the end of the day, I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. That's what Paul is saying. I'm willing to do this to the Jew. I'm willing to do this to the Gentile. And then he goes on to say, I'm willing to do it to the weak. Why is Paul so willing to do this? Again, Paul is not giving up his ethnicity. Paul is not giving up his Jewish culture. In fact, Christianity doesn't cause anyone to do that. And I would say through facts and through stats that Christianity is the most diverse. Over 90% of Muslims live in a band of Southeast Asia to the Middle East and Northern Africa. Over 95% of Hindus are in India and immediate surrounding areas. 88% of Buddhists are in East Asia. 25% of Christians live in Europe. 25% live in Central and South America. 22% in Africa. 15% in Asia and rapidly growing. 12% in North America. As Richard Bauckham says, a scholar, almost certainly Christianity exhibits more cultural diversity than any other religion, and that must say something about it. Paul is not saying that we have to give up these things. Paul is just saying this, that he's willing to lay down whatever the rights are that he has in order to win people to Jesus. And so let me hit on a touchy subject right now. <clears throat> Mask. Mask in our culture. This is a very practical one, but it's at least one that, that we can talk through. Uh, as Ronnie and I talked about this sermon earlier in the week, Ronnie mentioned, I'm not saying this to bolster Ronnie up, but uh, I'm also not saying this to make anyone feel bad who doesn't. Um, I, I'm using this to prove a point about rights. Is that Ronnie said, I will wear a mask because I don't want anyone looking at me and not listening to you share the gospel. And then there are many people right now who say that no one can push any of their rights on me, that I have the right to be free, I have the right to not wear a mask, Okay. And then there's people on the other side that their greatest battle is trying to win people to wear a mask and see the importance of that. And I would say to all groups and all parties involved, whatever we are doing, whatever we are saying, what, 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 whatever we are putting out there, projecting, and, and, and the ways that we use our social media and everything like that, is, is, it, is it exemplifying someone who's willing to lay down whatever rights they have in order to win people to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to step over whatever the bounds are, whatever the, the political uh, uh, constraints are, the hurdles and stuff like that? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to win people to Jesus Christ? Are you going to plant your feet in the ground and say, these are my rights, no one's going to take them from me, and no one's going to tell me what to do? Because Paul had every right to do that, and he said, I laid it all down, and I'm willing to give it all up if it means winning people to Jesus Christ. So much so that he says in Romans 10 that I'm willing to be anathema. I'm willing to be cut off. I'm willing to be separated from the church in order that my brothers and sisters, and, and specifically in that, my Jewish brethren or kinsmen, he says, would come to know Christ. Are we so committed to whatever our rights are? Are we more committed to winning people to Jesus? And I think that's a fair question to ask because we can see where Paul's heart is. So much so that he says that he's committed and he's under the law of Christ. What does that mean? It means that Paul lives with the supremacy of the law of Christ, which is love God and love your neighbor. That though he's not above any sort of law, that he's not outside the bounds of it, he says that the ultimate law that, that, that transcends all other laws in his life is that he loves God and loves his neighbor. And for Christians, that has to be the number one thing that we are willing to say, that the ultimate law that we live under is that Christ fulfilled the law, but he's also called us to love God and love our neighbor. Next. Look at 22. He says, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. The weak could be those that don't have a clear conscience to eat whatever food they want, but it could be also those, the other train of thought is that it's those on the bottom of the social pipeline. 
Either way, Paul just summarizes all this and makes it super easy for us. He says, I've, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Not that Paul saves people, but the way that he lives his life is through a declaration of the gospel message. It's not something that we just show. It's a message that is told of good news, but it's also the way that he incarnates that message through the way he lives his life in front of other people by a willingness to lay down his life. Here's some examples just to tell you guys the way that actual constraints and living with constraints actually leads to freedom. Say that you're an avid outdoorsman, someone who loves the outdoors, but you're also someone who loves food and especially unhealthy food and junk food. And so you go and visit the doctor and he tells you that you have heart conditions, that you're uh, on, on the verge of diabetes and you have all this going on. You have to at that moment make a decision. Will I put constraints on my diet in my life so that I can enjoy a life of the outdoors? And we would say by putting those constraints on your life, you're actually more free to live. But that means dying to a diet of just eating anything that you want to at any time. What about the successful woman who is all about her independence and all about her career? And so for years she has fought to climb the ladder. She's worked hard to achieve success. And now she doesn't want anyone to impede on that. But she also is tired of being lonely. And so she realizes that by getting married, she's going to have constraints on her life, that she can no longer just do everything she wants to do. But inside of the context of marriage, she experiences more love through vulnerability and through transparency that she never felt before. Another example of constraints. What about the happy couple or the dinks, dual income, no kids? They decide when they get married, they want to travel the world and, and then the pandemic hits. And so, People aren't traveling as much, but all of a sudden they realize that, hey, we, we also kind of want to have kids. Well, here's the reality, just in case you guys didn't know. When you have kids, it puts a lot of constraint on your life with, with what you can and cannot do. But at the same time, I have never experienced the amount of instant love that I had when I first laid eyes when my uh, children were born. And I, I also don't want to say that, that, that I know that's not the case for everyone as well, but I, through it and through constraints, I experience such a deep part of love that I get to share with my kids. Last, would say, what about the guy with back problems? He has a lot of back problems. He goes in to talk to the doctor, and the doctor says this, you're going to have to undergo surgery, and it's going to take a while for recovery. We would understand the constraints he's going to have to put on his life is by going in and giving up control, letting someone work on him, but then also taking six to eight weeks of not getting to do the things that he wants to do. But in the end result, by doing those things, he's actually more free to do other things. And so we would say the same thing, that Paul actually understands that putting constraints on your lives, biblical constraints, actually, and dying to ourselves is actually gonna produce a life of freedom, of more joy and of more happiness. And the reality is, is that oftentimes our, our strife in, in, inside of our relationship with our spouses comes from this, is that, whether we want to admit it or not, we exploit one another. And we're constantly wanting to win arguments. We're constantly wanting to show that we are right. And we're constantly wanting to do that. At the end of the day, are we willing to lay down whatever rights we have in order to win our spouse into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? Or do we just want to win arguments? Or do we just want to do what we want to do? We would have to understand that a marriage that is going to be the healthiest is when both people arrive and say, let me love and serve you. Let me lay down my rights for you. Let me do that for you. A community that works the best is a group of people that doesn't arrive and say, you can't tell me what to do. No one tells me what to do. I live for me. A community that works best is a community centered around Jesus that says, let me lay down my rights in love and service for one another. Let me lay down all my preferences in love and service for one another. And that's what Paul is advocating for here.
That is what Paul is saying. And not just Paul, that's actually Paul quoting Jesus who says in Matthew 10, 39, listen, in our culture, freedom is found through expression. I just, I'm free to express myself however I want. Literally, Jesus says this, Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He goes on to say that, um, that those that will come and follow me must take up your cross, which in other words means die. But through this death, you will actually experience life. And so Paul is saying that the more that we actually die to all of our preferences, all of our rights, all the things that we want, and live to love and serve God and love and serve others, we will actually experience more freedom. How do we see that and why was Paul willing to do this? Look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Why does Paul do this? explicitly clear. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That is why Paul says that he does everything that he does. Paul is not willing to exploit his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not willing to exploit other people. Why? Because the, Paul understands the gospel. The gospel is what it is to be truly free. What do we mean by that? The gospel is good news. The good news of what? Here is the gospel. The gospel is about a man who literally gave up his freedoms and died so that we could live. Literally, Jesus Christ held the throne of God. Everything belongs to him. And he gave that up to come here and be a servant. Exemplify what it is to be a slave and a servant to all. So much so that he gave up his freedom to even use the bathroom himself and became an infant. That is a, a huge exercise of showing what it is to give up your freedom. But not just that, he worked a blue-collar job. Imagine that, owning everything and working a blue-collar job. The king of the universe is working a blue-collar job. He gave up the freedoms and the rights he had. But then you keep moving on in his life. He had every right to defend himself. He had every right to tell the people at his death who he was. He had every right to be praised and worship. but he gave up those rights. He gave up every right so much so that he had literally had nails driven through his hands and feet. He gave up the right to be able to scratch himself on the cross. He gave him up his own right to be able to wipe the blood away from his brow as it dripped down. He literally gave up that kind of rights and exercised that sort of love on the cross for us. And so the gospel tells this message of someone who had all the rights in the world and laid them all down unto the point of death so that we could actually be free. The gospel is exploitative. And what I mean by that is it's literally, again, one man giving up all of his rights, saying, I'm committed, fiercely committed to love, serve you, and never walk away from you no matter what you do. There's no other relationship that truly works like that to where when we don't perform right, when we don't do everything right, when, when, when we don't show up with our best, that impacts our relationship with Jesus. That has no bearing. We don't have to crucify ourselves to try to earn favor with God. He was crucified so we could have favor and acceptance with God. We also don't have to be crucified by things in this world to try to give us worth and meaning and purpose and identity because in the end, those things will crucify us. So he was crucified to give us a relationship with him that will give us an identity and worth, meaning, and purpose. And here's the reality. Earth could pass away. The sun could pass away. Everything else could pass away. Your identity in Christ will never pass away. There is nothing that you can or cannot do to shake it. The cross bids us to come and die and through death that we will actually live the gospel at its essence says this show up and say that none of your spiritual efforts works good works bad works brings any merit before god the cross says you show up and say i can't jesus christ did everything for me so much so that he gave up all of his rights so that we could become the people of god And then so what does it look like to live out of that? What does it look like 
than for us to model this. Paul is saying that he's willing to do it. Jesus Christ did it. I'm, I'm willing to do it. And now he's calling Christians to do the same thing. That actually constraint is a good thing when we find our constraints biblically rooted with the commands of God who come from a good God. The gospel also gives us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to obey the commands of God, but also the Spirit does this, reminds us that when we fail moment by moment to live out of our new identity as saints and holy ones and set apart, that God never fails to see us as our identity in Christ. So we constantly don't live out of our new identity, but God constantly sees us as though we are in Christ and we're powered to live out these commands. Let's wrap up with 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. What does it look like when I show up in the evening at home after a day at work? Allie meets me at the door and she says, it's so good to see you. Dinner cooked, just, it's so good to have you home. I love you so much. I know you've had such a hard day that I want you to go kick your feet up and I'm gonna give you a massage. And I just want you to relax because the kids have been wonderful all day. They listen to everything I've told them to do. They've obeyed all the rules. And then I say, no, 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 no. I pastor a church of perfect people, angels. And I've had a wonderful day. It's been the best day ever. No problems, no messes, nothing to clean up. And so we're just, we're, we're actually just fighting about how awesome our days are and how much we want to serve one another. And that's what our arguments are about when we get home. And I would say that's absolutely total garbage, as you guys would all know and say, that the reason that my wife and I argue when I get home is the same reason that you guys argue. She's had a hard day with the kids. I've had a hard day at work. And then if we come home and exploit one another and say, here's what you're going to do, I'm checking out. Here's what you're going to do, I'm checking out. Then it doesn't make a marriage work well. It doesn't make relationships work well. But if we come home, and when I come home, if we lay down our rights to everything we deserve to actually understand that putting to death our rights is actually going to lead to life in Christ by loving and serving God and loving and serving my spouse and others, then God would say that's actually going to produce more joy and more happiness in our lives. And so I hear this oftentimes that wives check out or husbands check out. I would say it's our job and responsibility to check in whenever we get home and, and, and to arrive to love and serve the other person. And what Paul would say in the rest of these is that we need to exercise self-control. That's what 24 through 27 is all about. It's about the exercising of self-control. It's not just about winning. It's about exercising self-control. What sort of self-control do we exercise? We exercise self-control in every way as a Christian to not put any sort of hindrance on others for hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. He was like, hey, look, uh, you have the Isthmian games, which are like one of the four big games. And he's like, these guys exercise like crazy. They discipline their bodies. In fact, they do it all. And this is the truth. You know, they, they, they did all of this for a wreath made of celery. That was their wreath. And, and Paul, Paul is like, uh, think about that. That's what they were disciplining their bodies for. We have an imperishable wreath. We have an identity in Christ. But also he says this, if we go back to verse 23, he says, we do all of this so we may share with them in its blessings. We exercise self-control. Why? Because as people are won over to a relationship with Jesus and as our brothers and sisters are grown in a relationship with Jesus, it actually produces more joy and more freedom in the lives of believers. And so we can exercise self-control. We can live with self-control. We can lay down our rights 
limits and put constraints on our lives if it means the flourishing and the winning of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who don't know Christ. And so if there's one piece of application I would say we can walk away from this text and see and realize is that whether in a spouse, whether single, whether in college, wherever you find yourself, whatever you do, it is our job as Christians to not do anything, including taking up our rights to love and serve others and help win them into a deeper relationship with Christ or to win them to Christ. And so in a lot of ways, I would say that means for us as Christians, we need to be willing to step into the lives of other people and lay down our rights to win them over to Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to step in the lives of non-Christians. We need to be willing to step in the lives of people that look a lot different than us. Why? Because Christ modeled this. And without Christ, we would have no right to be called a child of God, and not just a child of God, but a child of God who is infinitely and eternally loved and held. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the microphone held up, that we could gather. We thank you ultimately, Jesus, that you are willing to give up your freedom so much so that you are pinned to the cross. Every right to be served, every right to have every knee bow in that moment, which we know one day, Lord, that will be. But we thank you, because if it's not for your death, none of us would have life. And I pray that we would come to see that as we die to ourselves and our own selfish wants and live for others, that in that there will be more joy.